right. Well, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to the weekly update for January 26th, I believe. And uh, so this week, uh, for those of you who follow me and or maybe this was your first time listening, I do these every Friday just to talk about some of the latest things bouncing around on my in my head related to activity happening in the workspace, in the technology space, share some thoughts on this just to help you stay ahead of it and also just share some point of view on this. And I encourage you, I will always make this plug to send over things. If you come across something and you're like, hey, what's your take on this? Or what do you think about this? This week, I actually have three things that were shared to me, both uh, two from one person and one from another. They did ask that I keep their names anonymous. So I will always ask if you send me something and part of the reason maybe you haven't is because you're like, I don't want my name announced out here. I will I will always ask if you're comfortable with me sharing or not. So I won't share who sent them, but three of them today, three of the four are actually related. So I'm a little bit longer in terms of number. I'm doing four instead of three, but it just has to do with folks that reached out. So with that, uh, the four that I'm going to be talking about. <laughs> so one is companies sending their employees to etiquette school. So get ready for that. Some is related to the harsh return to work craziness. One has to do with what's going on with DE and I in corporate America. And then the fourth has to do with the Apple Vision Pro. Now, as always, I try and keep these quicker. So I will not go into as much detail as I maybe would in one of my long form ones. But let's get started. So this one someone shared with me and just said, what are your thoughts on this? And it was an article. I can't even remember which uh, publication it was in. But <laughs> it literally talked about this rising trend as people are coming back to the office, leaders are feeling like their employees have forgotten how to behave in the workplace. And as a result, they are sending people to etiquette school and to take etiquette classes. And I've got to say, part of me chuckled about this a little bit, but part of me sees what's going on underneath it uh, a little bit more. And part of the reason I chuckled is I think back to early in my career. I remember one of the first times I went on site to the corporate office and I'd been a remote employee forever, but I knew everybody I worked with. And so I felt very comfortable with them. And I remember going and I just didn't pack any dress clothes. I, all I had was these ridiculously, looking back at it, it was embarrassing, ridiculously ripped jeans that I showed up at work in. And now I tell that story because what disappoints me about this article is when I hear people using training in ways that I think are not the right approach. So obviously I can understand this as a legitimate problem. So if there are organizations and people start coming back into the office and they're not dressed appropriately or they're not behaving appropriately, I understand why an organization go, hey, this is a problem and this is something that we need to address. So I don't want to downplay the legitimacy of that being a real concern for companies and going, we need to do something about that. That is a serious thing. And I completely understand that. What's disappointing to me is forcing large groups of your employee base through etiquette school. One, I feel like not only is that just degrading and humiliating to the general population, but it actually isn't going to address the real problem because chances are, I've just seen this through human behavior, the actual people who need that message aren't going to be the ones that receive it. And you're more likely to do more damage than good by doing something like this. Stack on top of that, etiquette school and training is not free. 
So these companies that are doing this are spending legitimate dollars and resources, not to mention the resources that are being taken away from productivity to send people to etiquette classes instead of just having a conversation. And to me, this is where I think we have opportunity, and this ties to something else that you're going to see, to focus on helping leaders and managers, I'm going to say managers specifically, because what, but again, leaders, regardless, helping people have the ability and the professional capability to speak to things that they see that, hey, you know what, this isn't really appropriate, or can I talk to you about this? This may reflect poorly on you and the organization. And that doesn't just have to be your boss, but it certainly is helpful if your boss is one who's willing to do that, but do it in a diplomatic way. Because even if let's say you're not broad brush stroking people into etiquette school, it's still humiliating and embarrassing to the person because you're treating them as though they're an idiot. When chances are this has less to do with they don't know and just more, they just need some guidance or coaching on this. And so as I think about this, I go back giving my example, my story, I show up at work, I look, it's embarrassing looking back on this. And I remember my peers all gave me some kind of odd looks and nobody said anything. But then my boss, who I had a really good relationship with, just pulled me aside and said, hey, here's the thing. And he just directly addressed the situation. He addressed the behavior with me. He reminded me of professional etiquette. He reminded me about the fact customers come in. He was very nice about it. He didn't humiliate me or embarrass me or make me feel stupid. He just pulled me aside. And then he kindly said, you know, I don't know if you brought cash or whatever, but if you need to go pick up, it's fine that you're wearing jeans, but they need to be, you know, work appropriate jeans. And if you need some cash, I'm happy to give you some so you can go pick some up. And he sent me to the store to go get some. It was the most, and I will tell you, I learned more and changed my behavior more from that then I can tell you right now, if I'd got passive aggressively sent an e-learning on professional etiquette, if anything, it might've had the opposite effect. Now, maybe some of that's my personality, but if this is happening at your company, or if you're a leader who's listening to this and going, well, I do see some of this happening in my teams, or maybe you are going back to the office and you're just seeing some inappropriate stuff, or maybe it's inappropriate. I, again, you got to be careful how you flag this stuff, but I would encourage people to just get better at having conversations. And there's ways that you can do this diplomatically, kindly, treating people with respect. And you know what? I think that's going to be a million times more effective, more cost effective. It's just going to be a better approach. And you're not going to off put your workforce feeling like, really? Like, this is how you treat me? So with that, little bit more on the humorous end. I did get a kick out of that when I went, wow, really? That's that's where they're going with this. But it does happen. And so I thought I would address this on this one. Now, moving on to number two, the return to work and downright kind of hostility around this is another one that actually I think is tied to this. And someone had reached out and said, what's your take on the flexible return to work? And often harsh, very top-down mandates that are coming out of companies. I see both sides of this. And a lot of people get frustrated with me sometimes, especially people close to me where they're like, can't you just take one side and not be so diplomatic? But I really do understand why this is not an easy thing. And I, going back to my previous comment, I just really wish people were more willing to have open and honest conversations with each other instead of these passive aggressive kind of 
ways of doing things. So if you've seen this, I mean, if you Google it, the person sent me a video and I think it's gotten taken down now, so I won't include the link. But I mean, there's some pretty wacky stuff that companies are doing to try and, I don't know if they're trying to trick their employees into it, if they're trying to fool them, if they're just trying to guilt trip. I'm not exactly sure. Some of these things are just off the wall. And if you are a leader listening to this and you're dealing with, hey, we need people to come back to, first of all, one to the middle management that usually is the group that's stuck in the middle of this. And for people who are listening, if you're frustrated with your boss about this, try and have a little empathy around this. Middle management is in a really tough spot where a lot of times if you're in a company with one of these really harsh top-down approaches to return to work, a lot of times those middle managers, like they don't even necessarily buy into it, but they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because their team wants one thing, their team members want one thing, corporate's demanding this, and it just gets really, really messy. So if you are someone who's frustrated by your boss in this, I would encourage you to share, have some sensitivity towards it. Be a little forgiving that they're in a tough spot. And a lot of times they're put in impossible positions on this. And I also understand that, you know what, at the end of the day, and I know people may not like this response, as much as you may hate it, your company does have some right to dictate how work gets done if you're an employee there. I don't like it. I think there's ways companies could do a better job of it. But the reality is I do think sometimes what I see is senior leaders react to what they perceive as a sense of entitlement. So if one of the best things you can do is not act as though you're owed the right to work from home or you're owed flexibility and they just should do that. But to come with a humble heart and say, hey, right, treat it for what it is, which is truly a benefit, appreciate it, value it, all these things. I think sometimes when arrogance and pride puffs up, these things just get ugly on both sides. So this is not me just asking, you know, frontline employees or employees, you know, in the ranks to just you know, be humbled to your senior leaders who are being ridiculous. Honestly, some of these things I'm like, oh my goodness, what is going on? But I think everything goes smoother when everybody comes to the table with a humble attitude of, hey, if you have a flexible work environment and things are changing, pounding your fist and saying, you can't do this to me, probably isn't going to get you very far. And secondly, they can do something to you. I mean, if they decide that they're going to make a policy and you decide to say, I refuse, just know you may be, and I know this from personal experience, you may be exiting yourself from the organization. So just know that. And I think that can help keep you in a humble position where you're like, well, if I'm really going to die on this hill, I better be ready to accept the outcomes that may come with that. That said, to the senior leaders who may listen to this or hear this, goodness sakes, do not treat your employees like they are a number, a resource, just a box filling a vacant space. It is so off-putting and it does so much damage to your corporate brand, to the engagement and the performance of your organizations and trying to take a universal approach to where and how people need to work will never be successful. It just will never be successful. And I see so many companies, some of this harsh stuff that happens comes out of this frustration from trying to take this universal approach and then they get frustrated that it's not going this way. So then they turn to these ridiculous things that I've seen on 
in this video that was shared with me on YouTube, these articles where I just see, I've read some of the emails that come out from corporate execs and I'm like, what are you doing? How do you think this is ever going to go well? So if you're in that boat, let me just tell you right now, trying to establish a universal return to work policy that just says, thou shalt be for all employees, go forth. It's not going to go well for you. I'm just telling you that now. You're putting your middle managers in a tough spot. You're isolating your employees. One of the best things you can do is really focus on what do you really need from people and figure out how to focus on the outcomes and trust and empower your managers to make some good decisions. Now, to be fair, and the person who sent this to me, I agree with one of their points that I do think some of this is in reaction to, well, do managers always have the skills to know how to manage well and know how to lead a flexible or a remote team? Going back to my earlier point, when you have managers who are afraid to tell somebody, hey, your jeans are like way too ripped for the office, that same manager is probably going to struggle to talk to one employee and say, you can have a flexible work arrangement for this. For you, I don't think that's the right move. You know, we'll work towards this and having kind of this flexible, personalized way of running a team. I agree that they probably could use some additional development, some additional skill building in those areas because many managers are in a tough spot and just got thrown to the lurch with return to work. And now they've just been jacked around going, send all your people home and run them. Now bring them back to the office. No, now it's a mix. Now get them back in here. So I do think there's some manager skill gaps, but I think in general, people are better than we often give them credit for if we give them the right guidelines and the right targets. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of times senior leaders don't always do a great job of is really setting clear targets for people and saying, here's what's expected of you. I expect you to hit this target. And you know what? Senior leaders, it can be an aggressive target. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm setting this aggressive target. So you have the flexibility to figure out how you're going to get to that target, but you got to hit the target. And if you can figure out how to do that in a different way, then so be it. And as a senior leader, you got to let go of that and say, look, if you can do that from home, like what, like, I don't care. What I care about is you hitting that target. And that is a shift. That is a shift for a lot of people. I think another thing where I'm sensitive to this on the senior leadership side, I saw this with WeWork, saw this with some other companies. Um, you know, a lot of these big companies, they're saddled with a lot of real estate, a lot of debt, a lot of these other things. And what I would encourage senior leaders to do with this is a lot of times there's this pressure as a senior leader to feel like you have to have all the answers. And as a result, you don't open up to your employee base and invite them to help problem solve. I would actually encourage you to be honest about it. if part of your return to work policy is because you've got a massive corporate office that's costing you out the nose to have it and having it sit empty isn't great for business. Why don't you brainstorm with your employees of what can we do about that? What creative ideas could we explore to make better use of that? I was talking to one company and I advised them on this and they ended up subletting it out for small businesses in the local area, and they actually ended up making more money than they owed on it type of a thing. So there's, there are better creative ways to get around this. And honestly, you're not fooling people when you tell people, we want you back in the office for innovation and collaboration, when really you want them back in the office because you're the executive, that's where you like to be. And you really get annoyed when you walk through the cubicles and nobody's sitting in there and you're just like, oh, you know, how do I even know these people? 
okay, that's a you problem. That's not an employee problem. It's also, if it's like, we're stuck with debt, we need to figure out the, then open up to that and invite people in. I've seen people come up with some creative, creative ways to solve these problems. So I would just encourage senior leaders, look, I understand it's complicated, but stop trying to find universal answers to complicated, nuanced situations and invite your people in. I know it goes against traditional wisdom, but I continue to be amazed the further up I move, how beneficial it is when I make people part of the solution instead of just the people that have to go execute what my solution is. So I think there's some ways around this, but I don't think we're done seeing some of this. And I very much hope that in the near future, I am not shared crazy, insane videos of CEOs or C whatever O's acting poorly because it's it's honestly embarrassing. Um, so the third one that was shared with me had to do with this growing trend of DEI positions just plummeting, plummeting out. There was a report put out by Josh Burson in January of 24, and it was something along the lines of like 48% reduction in these roles. And I spent some time thinking about that, thinking about some of the conversations I've been having uh, with leaders in organizations and things like that. And I think it's a more complicated problem than people often realize. And again, that's where people sometimes get frustrated with me because I don't have nice, easy, well, here's the problem. I think on the surface, it looks like nobody cares about DEI anymore. And I definitely think there is some degree of that that is happening. It was a bit of a fad. And I, I don't think it should be. To be clear, I don't think focusing on diversity, creating equitable workspaces and making it feel like, hey, there's a sense of belonging and we're including people. I very much think we should not be focusing less on that. But I think what happened was there became a huge focus and a huge realization. This is a huge gap. And instead of people doing the hard work to figure out how do we actually solve the problem, companies in an effort to appease the masses and look good from a PR standpoint, hired a whole bunch of people into roles they hadn't really thought through that didn't really have very clear expectations and they hoped the problem would go away. And I think what we're seeing as we come into 2024 and what happened in 2023 is companies will only do that for so long. And once they feel the heat is off, things that they know aren't really working, they kind of stop doing. And I think that's what's happening with DEI right now. I talked to a friend of mine who was hired as, she was hired as the chief diversity officer for a company. And I remember this was in the height of the kind of peak of this whole thing. And I remember talking to her going, how, like, how is it going? I feel like the company set up this position. They recruited you, thought, hey, this will be great. But like, how's it working in practice? And she shared with me, it was awful. It was just awful. She goes, I was set up to fail. I was brought into this organization, no resources, no team, no anything. It was just like, hey, you're here now. We have a diversity officer. So like, make us a DEIB company. And she really did not have a great experience and ultimately ended up leaving. And I don't blame her. And I'm guessing if I were to go look at their company now, they probably don't, don't have that role anymore probably because they looked at it and went, well, geez, we tried. We tried to do the whole diversity thing and it, we hired somebody. It didn't play out, which to me is disappointing because 
I feel like we were on a positive trajectory in saying, hey, this does matter. We need to put time and energy and resources into this. And let's do this. Unfortunately, a lot of times when you're trying to do things fast instead of well, it ends up being a flash in the pan. And I think on the negative side, I think when the flash burned up, a lot of things just kind of disappeared. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure how we potentially change that. And I, to be completely honest, I don't know that changing what we did before or trying to resurrect what that was would necessarily be the right answer. Because again, talking to a number of my peers who were you know, VPs of diversity or chief diversity officers, a lot of them, when I talked to them, I'm like, is this working? And their answer was no, because really diversity isn't a business function. It's a way of building a culture. Now, could you have a role that was responsible for that? But there was a lot of organizational change that needed to happen to get people to really recognize, hey, this is part of what we need to do as an organization. So I don't know that I necessarily see DEI on its deathbed, but I do think the way that it was implemented probably is. It probably is. And I honestly don't know that trying to resurrect it would be the right thing. That said, I don't think we should throw on the towel. And on a positive note, and then I'll transition to the final one. On a positive note, I think what we went through a few years ago did actually make an impact in some positive ways that there is greater recognition, at least in conversations I have, that building a diverse workforce, focusing on equity and inclusion, does make for better organizational performance. So where that used to be, you know, if I went back seven, 10 years and asked that question, do you think that I, I, my experience was there would have been a lot less, yeah, whatever type of a thing. It wasn't really seen as important. I would say now more people, a larger percentage would say, yes, it is. We're still struggling with figuring out what that looks like and what we tried didn't work very well. Now, again, that can frustrate people. And I understand that because it is saying, Hey, let me be the first to say, are there still people out there having the roll their eyes? I, I think it's stupid. Like, yes, those things are out there. And I don't want to dismiss that that still is a problem and an opportunity area that still needs some serious work. But I think on the positive side, what I've seen is the effort that went into some of this DEI work over the last few years. It's not like it's all a wash. And just because hiring is down for certain positions, well, we what a flash in the pan. We have nothing left to show for what we went through. And I think that's the encouraging thing. Do we still have room to grow? Absolutely. Are there still areas that we can get better? Yes. Are there still people out there that probably need a good punch in the nose and told to grow up? That's not how we treat people. Absolutely. I still encounter those things. So I don't want in any way, shape or form people to think I'm dismissing those realities. I think I just have seen over the last few years that in spite of some of the trends you may see in the hiring data, I think there has been some meaningful progress in this area. And I hope there continues to be more. I think we might just need a new flavor because I do think just throwing headcount into an organization with no real plan, that's doomed to failure no matter what. And I actually feel for a lot of the people I know, 
who ended up in these jobs that were just, they were set up for failure from day one and they didn't realize it until they were in them and they had high hopes. And then it was like, we just, we just got longer work to do. And then there was this pressure of like, well, why is this not better yet? And it was like, are you kidding? Like, this isn't something we fixed because you hired a chief diversity officer type of like, there's real work to be done around this. So again, I would be curious to hear from folks if they in their organizations have seen things working, you know, did, are you in an organization where hiring someone really did make a positive impact? I don't want to assume that just because my observation has been that approach has not been terribly effective, that it never works. But I would be curious to hear from folks who have seen really effective things and what those looked like and how they differed or were similar to what we saw over the past few years. Because there was, there definitely was a period where it was just like, I feel like everybody on my LinkedIn feed was like, you know, director of diversity, chief diversity officer, this and that. And it was like, the company's really thinking this through. Um, so it isn't all that surprising to me that a couple years later that the hiring for those roles has just fallen off a cliff. Um, okay. So with that, I told you this is going to be a little longer because I got four. So the fourth one is more technology focused. And it has to do with, I saw an article the other day about the Apple Vision Pro, which for those of you who've been following it, if you want, you can go see. I did a whole reaction to the announcement. I have some, I won't get into my reaction towards the Apple Vision Pro because if you want to know that, you can go see my my opinion video on that. And I don't know that it's really changed all that much. Although who knows if I went back and watched it, maybe it would be a little bit. But either way, they are sold out, which actually does not surprise me one bit. I knew once Apple got into the XR market, it's gonna make it cool. Now, to be clear, I think we still have a ways to go for XR technology being mainstream. I mean, I'm familiar with the Apple Vision Pro. I've seen and touched one. And I mean, it's not something I think people are just going to be walking around the street with, you know, like you see on some of the goofy videos. I mean, it's it's far from like, hey, this is super convenient and I would just wear this all the time. <laughs> it's not. But I think the the article I read, the analogy it gave was kind of like the Apple Watch. So when the Apple Watch came out, you know, it wasn't really well adopted. People kind of went, what is this? Like, who's ever going to buy this thing? And if you look at some of the stats, uh, article I was reading about this, if you look at some of the stats, the Apple Watch was slow to go. But once it got moving, I mean, the Apple Watch is doing very well. I'm wearing one and I was a Fitbit person. I swore I'd never wear an Apple Watch and now I'm an Apple Watch person. So... I do think Apple getting into the game is going to continue driving things and keeping immersive technology and kind of the XR space at the forefront. For anybody who is wondering, you know, are you going to be wearing an Apple Vision Pro at work in the near term? Probably not. I don't think, I think we're a long ways and my definition of long might be different than yours. We've got some runway before I think we really see XR technology integrated in. I think we've got some more hardware steps to make, but I do think Apple's vision, Apple's Apple Vision Pro selling out so quickly is an indication that Apple getting into the game is what I thought it would be, which is a significant step. And, and it's not just me. A lot of people I know who are around the XR were very excited when Apple got into the game because of what it did. However, at the same time, it's interesting because I was I was reading a few things on this. Not everybody's so excited about it. So 
there are a lot of companies, big companies who are out there who are boycotting the native apps for this. So YouTube is one, Spotify is one, Netflix, which when you think about entertainment and really one of the big things they're pushing with XR is, hey, it's like your entertainment experience. Not having a native app is kind of a big deal. Now, I do think some of that is these big companies going, I get Apple's in the game now, but I don't think everybody's going to be buying a $3,000 Apple Vision Pro. So for us to develop a custom app for a novelty, I get it. I get why they wouldn't necessarily do it. And they're like, look, you can still access it through the browser, but we're not going to build a custom app for this. I think over time, as Apple gets more market share, as it does start to expand, I actually wouldn't be surprised one bit if some of those companies reverse their thinking. But I don't see them doing it soon because like the Apple Watch, I think it's going to be a slow adoption. I think we're going to see the hardware go through a few more cycles before people really get into it. But I'm still sticking to XR is not going away. So for those of you who are naysayers, and I know you're out there, those of you who are naysayers who are still like, nah, XR is never going to, it's only for gamers and it's only for this. I think you're wrong. I think we're going to continue see it making inroads and some of these other things. You know, is it going to be the kind of thing where I anticipate it's like a smartphone where everybody just has a device plastered to their face? Maybe not, at least not the devices we see today. And that's why I say, I think we've got to go through some additional hardware cycles, life cycles before we really see that pick up. But my, I'm still placing my chips on XR is not going away. It's been here for a long time. It's continuing to, I continue to see exponential growth, which it's not exponential growth like generative AI, but it is growing at an increased speed in terms of adoption, uh, just applications, companies being more familiar with it and leveraging it. So I think we got, I think we got a bright future with it, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I'll, I don't know, maybe if you come across somebody actually walking around with an Apple Vision Pro, by all means, snap a picture and send it to me because that that'll be the day. So we'll see when that day comes. But with that, I'm looking forward to it. Curious where things go. And I'm a big fan of digital experience. So that's part of the reason why I'm hoping uh, it continues to grow. So with that, those are the biggest things on my mind this week. I hope you found that helpful. Uh, if you didn't, well, sorry. If you have some different opinions, feel free to share them. If you come across things and you want my take or want some additional thoughts on it, by all means, send them over to me, whether it's LinkedIn or direct you know, comment on the video, whatever it is, somehow get them to me and I will include you in the queue on this. But with that, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Friday and a great weekend. And we will see you next week. 